Hey, I'm Ben, and you're listening to Get More Done, a You Can Book Me podcast. Each month, You Can Book Me saves tens of thousands of customers and millions of users time by automating their scheduling needs, avoiding back and forth emails and miscommunication. Because of this, we wanted to explore other aspects of productivity. Each episode, we talk with business leaders to learn how they do more with less, leverage automation, and ultimately help their team get more done. On today's episode, I caught up with Giacomo Guilizzoni. You may know him by his nickname, Peldi. Peldi is the founder and CEO of Balsamic, a wireframing tool that speeds up the prototyping process. During our conversation, we discuss how over the last 14 years, his team have used the power of customer feedback to improve Balsamic, and he shares some ideas on how to build a good remote culture. Enjoy. Awesome. Welcome back to the Get More Done podcast, where we talk about all things productivity and getting getting things done and crushing goals. Today, I'm sitting down with Peldi from Balsamic. Peldi, the legendary Peldi, thank you for, for coming on. It's <laughs> awesome, to, awesome to talk with you. Thank you guys for having me. I'm always excited to uh, support a new podcast. Yes, great. And we're, we're happy to have you. Um, so we typically start these conversations with an icebreaker question. And this one for you this week is uh, one I think you know you'll you'll knock out of the park because you've been around and you know so much. Um, so, what is one important skill you think everyone should have? I think it's uh, a minimum knowledge of uh, scripting computers, not programming, just scripting, just automating those tedious tasks that everybody has to do in their life. Just the other day, I had to create 33 spreadsheets that were all similar to each other. And instead of doing it manually, I created a script in an hour and a half. And now forever, a task that used to take me two days will take me two minutes. So I wish that they spent more time in high schools teaching people the basics of just plain, uh, boring uh, scripts. Yeah, and I'm I'm keen to learn more on that. How would I learn more about about scripting? What do you What do you recommend? Well, I mean, um, I, I was thinking about actually looking up uh, if there are any uh, classes uh, uh, dedicated to that because you don't really need all of the knowledge about programming. Um, it's really very uh, procedural, right? Do this and then do this and then do this and then do this. So I think you can start. You know, the, if you're on an Apple machine, there are tools that allow you to kind of script everything you do uh, on different apps. This particular example was uh, Google uh, Drive. Uh, Go- it's called Google Apps uh, Scripting, where you can let you can instrument any Google Docs or Google spreadsheets to do stuff. Uh, and it's really easy and basic. The documentation is actually pretty good. So. I guess I would uh, take a look at any repetitive task that you have and see if uh, it can be automated. Yeah, that's a great, great advice. And I'll, I'll be sure to put something up on the blog about, about where people can get some more information on that because saving time is what we're all about here and, and make, exactly. <laughs> making that's it easier for everybody. <laughs> so, so speaking of efficiency, you know, you've mentioned that you've been obsessed with efficiency ever since you were young. So do you have any good stories from when you were a boy of where you've like created some process or you created some efficiency from back in the day? 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, my uh, my wife calls me Rain Man uh, sometimes, <laughs> uh, which I, I, I take it as a compliment. Yes, yes. Um, but I've always obs- been obsessed with. Uh, uh, I'll tell you one story. When I was uh, maybe ten or eleven, I would go to school on the bus. And I had to walk home from the bus uh, stop every day. And I could go three different ways. And they were more or less the same in terms of distance. So for days and days, I would uh, walk home counting the steps and trying all the different ways until I found one that on average took less time and less fewer steps. And then from then on, that was my route home for years and years. So I don't know what it is. I find it fun. Um, I find it frustrating to see when uh, people waste time on things that could be done so much better. And I love seeing people who say, oh, my gosh, this is magical. You know, this was so painful. And now this I can go home and be with my family instead of uh, wasting my time doing this. So I love to do it for other people. But. I love to do it for myself too. Yeah, I totally know where you're coming from of just that like itchiness when things are, you're doing it over and over again or there's an easier way to do it. And it's kind of, some people say, call it the lazy person, but really you're just efficient and you're like, I don't want to do that work. How can we do it or take those steps in your example? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a threshold though. I feel like, for instance, the uh, spreadsheet example for uh for years we did it manually and it was fine because we had we started with 10 spreadsheets uh and the format was kind of still not solid so automating it too early is also a problem it doesn't really make sense to automate something if you're going to do it once only you know better to spend some time learning and letting the dust settle and then when you know that automation really is going to be uh, a game changer. That's, I feel like, the the right time to do it. Yeah. Not too soon. Yeah, that makes total sense because you want to get the process in place and then automate right. it. Yeah, when it's sound. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of doing things better, uh, the background of Balsamic, of you were working for another company, you saw a need and you just went and built built the company and you were profitable within a few weeks, which is which is wild. And the company's been growing ever since, as we mentioned, you know, as we, you and I were talking a bit earlier. Do you wish that you started the business sooner? Uh, no. At some point I did have in my career, I did have sort of a niche because I was living in San Francisco and it's pure madness there. So if you're not starting something, you're a total loser. <laughs> Uh, so I got sort of uh, trapped in that in that trap for a bit, but um, so I thought maybe I'll start something, but it was clearly too early. The first thing that I did when I uh, had the idea was to buy a business book, and this was called uh, "You Have to Be a Little Crazy: The Truth Behind Starting Your Own Company." And I made it to page 16 before I realized that I was not ready. This was not for me. (laughs) This sounded not attractive at all. So that kind of stopped me for uh, three or four years before I I was, uh, I thought of of starting again. But it's interesting because even Balsamic was started as a way to reduce inefficiency Mm -hmm. because I was uh, spending a lot of time uh, we were wireframing on a whiteboard in a, in an office, and uh, I would have to go back the sec the next day or later after the meeting, and copy everything from the whiteboard to digital, 
And I thought, this is so slow. I'm just making a copy of something that already existed. If we had started digital already, I wouldn't have to spend this hour doing this. So that's that's how kind of the the idea started, really. Yeah, and that that's it's amazing just to see that need, and you're like, there has to be a better way. It's like the infomercial where it's all black and white, and yeah. you're like, no, there has to be a better way. And you're like, but wait, there's more. Yeah, but we'll just build it, build it out, and and all now. Yeah, and the, and the wireframing tool. I mean, it's so easy to use, and I love the like the not not rudimentary but just low fidelity low fidelity exactly low fidelity so then people aren't caught up in just making it look exactly like this is just the prototyping phase and i love how you know you niche down into that well that's really what i was trying to do i was trying to replicate the whiteboard yeah that uh, uh as close as possible there is a lot of value in uh, uh making it look like it was hand drawn because people then don't get fixated on colors or yeah. Uh, the size of the logo or, you know, pixel perfect design. There's a time to do that later. But initially, when you're just hashing out the structure of each web page or screen, you really want uh, something that looks really uh, sketchy, yep. uh, sketched out, uh, so that uh, you focus on the structure rather than uh, the details. Yeah, exactly. It makes so much sense. So, you know, you've grown Balsamic from just you in the early days, and I think you brought your wife on early on, too, to, to help out in a little bit. And now, how, how large is your team? How many people you have on your team now? Uh, we have 33 people, probably going to hire a couple more next year. But we haven't hired anybody in a couple of years, which fills me with joy. It means that we're finally reaching our uh, natural size, our sustainable size, and I got to say, uh, everything is easier if you uh, are not constantly uh, hiring uh, or, you know, churning uh, employees uh, because people learn how to work with each other much more. There's not any sort of jostling for position or giving people uh, delegating uh, jobs. After a while, it kind of stabilizes and uh, and people can just focus on doing the work. Yeah, and, and t- tell us a little bit about how you're keeping the team that small. So I assume you have some internal processes that help you all do do more at scale and kind of be, be super efficient. So any any big process that you have in place that, that helps your team save a ton of time? Sure. Well, um, where can I start? We, we, everything <laughs> we do, it seems like as a CEO, a lot of my job is to spot inefficiencies and help get rid of them, help uh, make it better. And sometimes it's via software, sometimes it's via process. But, you know, for instance, one one area where a lot of companies grow once they scale is uh, the support team, which I think you come from, right, Uh, originally? Now, in our case, I've always been afraid of that. And so we've always prioritized bugs over new features because we really want a product that is super solid. Uh, if there's something that causes a bug that causes support, we'll fix that first. We'll drop everything else and fix that first. And so after, you know, 14 years, we have a very solid product and we're able to support a million plus customers with six people, which also do support kind of part-time. They also do other things. Yeah, yeah. So that I'm really proud of. I feel like that is a very efficient way to, to to run your company. And it's not that hard. You just have to make sure that you uh, you prioritize uh, bugs over uh, other things, uh, even just a little bit. But over time, it adds up. Yeah, absolutely. And and how do you how do you build those feedback loops? I mean, how does how does that communication go from the support team through to the product team and then in- engineers? Well, uh, we have a tight feedback loop with our customers, which is the most important thing. If customers don't care, 
they don't tell you about the bugs, you're not going to know about them. And so that, that's that's the main problem. So you have to make sure you cultivate that uh, very well. And we do that by offering uh, a lot of different channels to contact us. We have forums. We have a forum on the website. We have emails. We have phone. Uh, we have a Slack community. And we listen on Twitter and uh, all sorts of, you know, anywhere where people mention us, we're listening. Then uh, the support team, uh, we have uh, a um, sort of a, a bug tracker uh, called the Pivotal Tracker, which is very lightweight. It's really just like a list where that you can rearrange pretty much. So it's very easy for uh, for a support team to add things to it uh, to make us more efficient. I wrote a little Chrome extension that uh, allows people to file things into Pivotal Tracker from the forums or from wherever they they find it, if, whether it's a tweet. So it adds the link and uh, the form. You know, it's very easy. So that's how the we we capture everything. And we have a culture about capturing more is fine, even if it's already filed. Don't worry about duplicates. Better to have a duplicate than not capturing it at all. And then we have a process where each uh, product team, we have different product versions. So each product team meets once a week. It's called the Priority Review Board. uh, And it's uh, engineering lead, product management, QA, and support. And we go through whatever was filed in the last week. And then we decide, okay, is this worth uh, fixing now? Or do we put it in the future bucket? We tag everything, make sure that we we can find in the future. And so that's how we stay aligned and uh, aware. Now, if it's something urgent, we have a Slack channel called Fires. Yep. <laughs> and so if, you know, the server goes down or something, the support team chats in there. They have the phone numbers of all the people that are engineers that are on call. So it, it kind of depends on, on the priority or the thing. But we have, uh, you know, a lot of different ways. And where we... We think that, uh, you know, because we prioritize bugs over everything else, we really value the opinion of the support team when it comes to uh, making roadmaps, for instance. Uh, Every quarter we have a roadmap meeting and every team proposes what, what should we work on next quarter. And we have the support team and what they say usually goes, (laughs) Uh, you know, even more than me as the product manager. I usually add my stuff last uh, because I feel like, you know, we'll do it if there's time. If it's solid enough, then we'll do it. Otherwise, we'll focus on bugs and chores. Yeah, that that's amazing to see that you're just focused on that core and fixing those bugs and that feedback loop and that prioritization and aggregation happening all the time and everybody involved in that conversation. That's really, really awesome. Because I don't think a lot of software companies will do that because they'll be focused on the next big thing, the next shiny thing, rather than stabilizing everything. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends on uh, when uh, your how young is your product, right? Because if it's, uh, if it's so young that you haven't found product market fit, then um, you know you can be you can have a, f- a perfect super solid product that no one wants. So of course you gotta prioritize some features too. But those come from support too. Mm-hmm. Support tells you what are the features that people are asking for, right? Yeah. So I think it depends. For us, uh, being a sort of a mature product, now 
we 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 like to do a mix uh, of things, but we do a little more bugs rather than other things. Yeah, that that's really cool. And you you spoke briefly about that Chrome extension that you that you built out. Have there been any other like experiments or things that you you've kind of built that you're you're proud about that has, has helped your team? We have uh, maybe seven or eight internal tools that we built to work better. Some of them are very small, like that Chrome extension. I built another Chrome extension that helps uh, with our sponsorships. People on the website submit a form that goes into Help Scout. And I wrote this extension that scrapes the Help Scout data and puts it in Google Spreadsheet with two clicks, right? So simple things, but also another giant internal tool that we built is called Achataya, and it's a full-blown project management tool with, uh, you know, who's working on what project, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a full on product, but it's built specifically for the way we work, which is kind of flat, not really deadline driven, but anyways, if we can't find anything on the market, that is, uh, exactly what we want. We're not afraid of building a, a little version of it. In fact, <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say that, but we built a little scheduling tool. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can book me was great, but we were using a tenth of it. And so, um, and then it was missing one tiny little feature. And so instead of uh, switching to another big, rich tool, I spent five days for fun and I built a little internal version as a kind of as a learning experience. And uh, it just does what we need and nothing more. Uh, and uh, we like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of continuous improvement, after this, I'll, I'll get what that feature is and I'll, I'll prioritize that for you, get it, get it built in. <laughs> um, but that's awesome that you're, you're building out those internal tools just to help, help your team along. And I know that comes with the whole uh, set of headaches where it's like you're trying to update those and keep those in place. So it's, you know, it's if the need is there, you fill it with the tool and kind of manage that yourself. Yeah, you definitely have to resist the not invented here uh, uh, syndrome where, uh, oh, we only use our own thing because, uh, because we're better than everybody else. These tools require uh, constant maintenance, security patches, uh, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a whole product. So, um, so do it, do it carefully. But I feel like people are sometimes too careful where they will be happy spending another $15 a month on a third-party tool where, where really they could spend $1 a month with a five-day investment of development, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's also a, a thing about uh, privacy. With uh, GDPR and everything, we've really decided that we want to compete on being the most privacy conscious uh, company. And so we actively try to reduce our uh, list of third-party vendors that get our customers' data. Because if they get, the, the shorter is the list, the less the risk of a breach for our customers, yep. right? And so that's why now we replaced some tools that we used to pay for with internal tools. Because that way the, the data stays with us and no third party uh, company uh, gets it. And, you know, that's nice, but it's not a great news for our industry as a whole. Right. Right. Because um, I think it, it, it means that there's going to be some consolidation where, you know, in our, in our case, we've switched things to AWS because 
they have a, a, a similar tool than what we were using. But since we already have AWS on the list, and since they're known and accepted, you know, it's the new IBM. People used to say no one got, ever got fired for choosing IBM yeah. over another vendor, right? Yeah. Now AWS or Google or Azure's, they're the big gorillas. And I feel like they're eating a lot of the little uh, infrastructure kind of tools uh, out there, which, you know, is sad for for little industry, especially for bootstrap little companies. Yeah, but that, I mean, that vertical integration makes sense because you're saying, you know, you're already using this tool, expanding into their other offerings just keeps that data right. in one spot. And, you know, like right. you mentioned, it is a bit of consolidation, people getting to this first party data, avoiding third parties just to mitigate that risk, which is imperative. And as long as you're updating those internal tools, then, you know, it's all all good to to keep things yeah. keep things close to the cuff, like you mentioned, for sure. So, you know, you're famously relaxed and informal and super transparent and you've also mentioned, you know, multiple times that you're trying to figure things out and you're not the expert, but is there anything that you actually insist on in your company? Anything that has like the Peldi stamp that it has to be done this way? <laughs> well, first of all, nobody knows what they're doing. That's one <laughs> lesson that I've learned over time, especially the ones that say that they do. That's the sign of insecurity right there. <laughs> so, you know, if you're listening and you feel like a fraud, don't worry about it. Everybody's the same. So that's an interesting question. I think that I can answer that by saying, what are the things that I'm still doing that are, that are the, the last ones to delegate, uh, right? These are the ones that I want to keep uh, uh, working on uh, directly. And so uh, I'd say the first one is the company. I'm still the CEO. And um, so... Ultimately responsible for the company company culture and uh, vision and direction for the company itself. Similarly, the main product. I'm still the product manager for the wireframing uh, editor. I feel very strongly about what should go in it and what shouldn't. And then, uh, I guess, in a lesser extent, kind of what kind of marketing we do uh, is still something that is on my plate. The fact that we're people-driven, conversation-driven rather than data-driven. That's something that I've had to kind of fight tooth and nail to maintain. But again, I feel like this is one of the things that I might hire someone to take over next year. So that's uh, that's one thing where I feel like I'm, I'm getting ready to let go a little more. Yeah. And on that, I mean, you've mentioned that you wanted to step away even further and remove yourself entirely from the business, but it sounds like that's um, an uphill battle because you're still involved in so many things. So how, how is well, that Well, it going? takes time. Yeah. It takes time. So the reason I want to uh, quit, so to speak, is uh, that I don't actually want to quit, but I want to make sure that the company can work well, even without me. Because the main goal is to build a multi-generation business. Uh, If I'm able to do that, I feel like I will have left a legacy in my life. And not just for the business for the sake of itself, but because we clearly have a mandate from the market that there is a problem that needs solving, which is, you know, conveying your ideas in the early stages, right? People have this problem and will have this problem forever, because there's always younger people that uh, come out and, uh, and have new ideas, right? So I feel like if I'm able to build a business that is able to solve this problem for more than my lifespan, 
then I will have done a good job. I will have left the world in a better place than, uh, than I found it. So that's what I'm working on. And I feel like to do that, I have to be able to uh, step away completely. I see it as a five-year project. Uh, I think we're in year two, two and a half, or think halfway. Uh, hiring someone to do takeover marketing is going to be a step in that direction. And then uh, eventually I'll uh, hire someone to take over product and et cetera, et cetera. So we'll see. What Walk us through what three years from now, what does that look like? What are you spending your time doing then? I think, well, first of all, if I'm not needed anywhere, it gives me the freedom to work on what I want to, whatever I want, which is awesome. I can imagine actually myself spending time going uh, one-to-one with each employee and seeing how they work and seeing what they're doing inefficiently (laughs) and fixing that for them. (laughs) Absolutely. Whether with, uh, you know, teaching them some tools or building some tools or just coaching them uh, on how to work in a different way. Uh, I've been around for a long time and uh, I, I'm pretty fast. So I feel like I have, uh, right now I don't have the time to do this kind of coaching, one-on-one coaching. So if I'm free to do that, I would like to spend time doing that. And then I can see still being involved in the you know, roadmap uh, and uh, company kind of discussions, but maybe once a quarter until it's no longer needed, right? Who knows? Yeah. Do you think your your team will do do well with you over the shoulder, helping them helping them out? Or, well, I think uh, I've done a few of these sessions and they've been well received. Uh, so I'm not. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. If I, I, I'll have to do it the right way. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, speaking of your team, you know your your company is one of the first fully remote companies. So how do you all maintain a strong culture and kind of strong bond as being a fully remote company for the last 14 years now? Well, uh, it takes work. It takes effort. Uh, you guys are remote too, so you know. In fact, Bridget and I did a session at Business of Software, a workshop uh, a few years ago, specifically on this, where we listed a number of different efforts that we uh, we do for, uh, for uh, sort of creating a sense of teaminess uh, when everybody's remote. So we do things, well, clearly we do a um, in-person uh, company retreat once a year. Uh, we haven't done it in person uh, because of COVID the last couple of years, but we've done virtual ones where uh, for a week we kind of get together on Zoom, but not to talk about work. Instead, we did like, uh, uh, we do like uh, 80s aerobic, aerobic uh, uh, dance class <laughs> We've done a uh, facials uh, spa treatment. Uh, we've done uh, yoga classes, meditation classes, a lot of cooking classes. So we try to do um, a lot of these kind of uh, these kind of things online. And then we do different programs that might last for a while and then they go away. For instance, for a while we had uh, what we called a, a Friday fun time. So every Friday we would put four people at random. Uh, from the company uh, into a Zoom for half an hour to discuss weekend plans and just, you know, spend time with people that you don't normally work with. So we did that for about a couple of years and then uh, people lost interest, so we stopped. So we came up with another thing, which was uh, personal pechacuchas. So every pechacucha is a format for PowerPoint where it's 20 slides, 20 seconds each, and they... um, 
advance automatically. So the whole thing is maybe seven minutes. And so each person would pr- create a presentation about whatever they wanted, personal. I did one where I took photos around my house to show people, here's my office, here's where I have my coffee in the morning, you know, simple things. And then some people instead did things about their father and, uh, you know, inspirational. And we laughed, we cried, and we, we grew uh, closer together because of these things. So we did a whole cycle of those, and then we stopped. So basically... There's a lot that you can do, uh, and you should always look for something to do. Uh, always have a couple of programs going at the same time, and and uh, over uh, over time, uh, it helps. Yeah, I, I love the idea of just new things and that spontaneity of getting people together. Uh, we do something similar like that of uh, anything but work calls. So we have a dedicated you can book me page or you can book anybody in the company and it's supposed to be for 15 minutes but usually it goes for 30 or 45 minutes because it's just nice to connect and and talk with everybody so i mean speaking to you personally as being like a ceo and working fully remote how do you combat just like maybe the loneliness that that settles in from that experience yeah i used to joke that working remotely is great for the first couple of years and then it gets really tough and uh and it's true but I feel like maybe after eight years, it gets <laughs> it gets easier again. <laughs> so um, I think what you develop, is, you you understand that uh, work cannot provide you with the same things that it provides if you go to a physical office. If you go to a physical office, you don't only get colleagues; you also start uh, making friends with your colleagues. You go out after work. Uh, you go to lunch together every day, right? That, unfortunately, the remote experience uh, doesn't offer. So you have to do two things, I feel like. One is kind of accept this reality and uh, um, accept, you know, grow a little bit more detached from your work than you would normally be. I think that's healthy to do that. And the other thing is replace these social interactions with uh, something else. So we uh, give people, uh, we expect that people will spend five hours every week during work time to do exercise. And we often, we, uh, we uh, encourage people to take up uh, sports, uh, team sports uh, or team activities like Zumba or, you know, whatever, group classes rather than individual things. Uh, because as humans, we really need that human interaction. I joined a book club, uh, for instance, and that's where I get my intellectual stimulation and human interaction that is not about business and not about software, right? So I feel like over time, uh, we've all learned how uh, to do these kind of, uh, these kind of remedies uh, for loneliness. A lot of us have, have pets. Uh, you know, I have a dog with me in the office all day, and a lot of us, a lot of employees do as well. So... I feel like you you start learning um, looking for the connection outside of work. It, I think it's an opportunity for uh, some businesses, right? This is going to be more and more of a of a need of people. So if you can build something where it's easy for people to make friends or get out of the house and do something social, you know, I took a bunch of uh, woodworking classes uh, and uh, I'm going to start a ceramic class too. And again try to take group classes rather than individual classes. Yeah, kind of get out there, get get in the mix and and get that. Because like you mentioned, you don't get that in a remote environment because you don't have those spontaneous meetups and everything. Yeah. Um, really awesome. 
So one thing that's always been interesting to me as I was doing some research is that throughout the growth of your business, you've been really transparent and documented everything on your website. So how have you seen that level of candor impact the relationships with your customers? Yeah, when I started doing it in 2008, it was because my goal was to build a single person business forever, a small, small micro uh, software vendor. And so uh, I didn't expect to have anybody to uh, help me think through things. And uh, I have to either have a conversation or write things down in order to really think through things. I can't really um, predict things in my head without verbalizing them. And so at the beginning, I would blog sort of as a, as a tool to help me think and to genuinely, it was a cry for help from people who, anyone who's reading this, please <laughs> tell me what to do. <laughs> and so, so I did it for myself, but also for, because I believe that when uh, every relationship with a customer is kind of like a long term relationship. And so you want to base those out of uh, trust, mutual trust. Uh, and so I didn't, I never wanted to lie. And even if when I went, was a one person company say, you know, oh, we have a department that does this, right? Uh, I, w- I never wanted to look bigger than I was because I felt like I was lying to my customers. And that's no, that's no basis for a long-term relationship. I would rather you know exactly who I am and how I work that way, I don't have to, uh, it's a lot less effort, <laughs> right? I just have to be myself. And so back in 2008, when I started that, it was radical and I got written up in the New York Times because I was writing everything. Now, building in public is uh, trendy and kind of expected. Uh, so I'm glad to see that because uh, as a user, uh, I feel like there's a lot less posturing uh, around and uh, and. Um, I think the world is better because of that. So I think we've always had a a good, honest, uh, transparent relationship with our customers. And I feel like that's part of a reason for our success because it really cultivated this tight feedback loop that you need so much because uh, we know exactly what we need to work on next. Our, our community tells us loud and clear. And we so we haven't had a, a problem... Uh, creating a roadmap for 14 years. We know exactly what the roughest edge is now, right? If we didn't have that, then we'd have to look into analytics, the crystal ball, and, uh, you know. Um, Instead, I feel like if you start on the right foot and are transparent, people will get on board with the same train that you're going to. They start rooting for you, and they will help you along the way. And it's just so much simpler. Yeah, and that and that trust I think is solidified when you're like pushing out changes that they're asking for and they're like I'm we're listening to you, we're responding to you absolutely. So so you know, let's let's talk really quickly about the future of Balsamic. Where do you see what's on the horizon for you? What's on your next roadmap? What are you what are you all excited about? All right, so there's always two products. One is the product, one is the company. So, uh product-wise, uh we're in a very good place right now because uh we're not doing anything big. We uh, we spent five years rewriting the whole code base, and but that's done, and we shipped that a couple years ago. We fixed all the bugs in the new code base. Now we are back to a very healthy uh, mix of new features and bugs and chores, and uh, and it's great. Uh, it really feels uh, really fast because people can see uh, what we're doing. The release notes 
uh, you know, show that a lot of what we do before when it was mostly bugs or chores, the release notes were short and people thought that we were going slow, but we were actually going fast, just doing invi- invisible things. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So product-wise, uh, we are uh, shortening the to-do list. Uh, we're, we're finally uh, uh, shipping all the features that people have asked for for many years. Uh, and one by one, we're, we're getting them out there. So uh, there's still a lot to do, but the product is pretty mature. So uh, a lot of these things are, uh, there's fewer big things that we have to do. Uh, so that's kind of going uh, very well. And, uh, and it's a fun period right now. That said, I do see something on the horizon that might be big, another big effort, which is that we might have uh, messed up our uh, business model, our pricing model, because we, pr- we uh, price our uh, SaaS by project, but everybody else in the market uh, prices it by user. And so our customers are very confused. When we say unlimited users, they're very confused. Of course, we think that if you have more users, then they want more projects. And so it's really the same thing. But because we're kind of odd, the odd one out, uh, I feel like we're hurting our customers, uh, our prospective customers uh, with that. So switching to a uh, user-based business model is a big effort, Uh, much bigger than than you think uh, at the beginning. So who knows, maybe next year we'll start uh, making a roadmap to tackle that. Uh, and that could be another big project for the next couple of years. Then company-wise, uh, we are in the middle of, we're you know, progressing in, the, in my effort to uh, be able to, uh, to, to not be so critical. And so we are uh, in the middle of a process to uh, uh, create these uh, groups and areas uh, and teams. And basically the, the main uh, uh, new thing is that we're finally going to have uh, people managers, official people managers, which is something that we have been, uh, we never had before and uh, we've been sort of lacking. Uh, so that's, that's going well. That's a nice uh, slow process because when it comes to people things, it's better to go slow. I've learned that. <laughs> But uh, we're making uh, good progress there. Yeah, sounds sounds like an exciting times ahead with adjusting the pricing model and uh, getting your team kind of in a in a in a, a stronger spot. That's really great to hear. So, where can the audience go to learn everything that you're you're working on? We have a giant website. We just added another fifty pages, uh, all about our company culture and how we do things. It's balsamic.com, like the vinegar, but with a Q instead of a C at the end, and. Uh, I was just looking, it has 777 pages and about 800 blog posts from 2007 on. So it is a giant website. You can find a lot of uh, pretty much everything we've learned uh, on there. And we have a office hours program where uh, you can uh, sign up to meet with uh, one of us to discuss various things. Um, so I encourage people to uh, do that if they are interested. Yeah, very cool. We'll throw that up on our blog as well to link to your blog and, and everything. And there's a lot of great information on there. So anybody listening, be sure to check that out at uh, balsamic, balsamicwithaq.com. Awesome. Peldi, it's been great to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming on Get More Done and sharing you know, your insights of growing your business and everything you've been working on. Really exciting to see and you're set up for success. Can't wait for you to be out of your business and still having your business grow. So thank you thank so much. Thank you, Ben. And thank you for this podcast. I'm excited to start listening. 
It's, uh, you know, yes. right up my alley. Yeah, efficiency is what we're all about. Absolutely, sir. All right, thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. Bye. We appreciate you listening to Get More Done. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and feel free to leave a review. Also, share this episode with anyone in your network that may benefit from the conversation. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest, please reach out to community at youcanbook.me. Visit getmoredone.youcanbook.me. Find us on Twitter at youcanbookme or the forum, forum forum.youcanbook.me. I'd love to hear your feedback. Catch you on the next episode.